1: Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, and um, we're not going to have our regular Saturday show today. No news, no Bible topic necessarily. We're just going to be interviewing our wonderful pastor, Bill Kane, as we mentioned to you guys last weekend. So um, we're not going to belabor this open too much. We're going to just get right into the interview. So, Pastor Kane, thank you for being here.
2: Well, Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've been wanting to do this for a little while now, uh, but, you know, schedules are always busy and the kids and you've got uh, not only the church, but you're, out, you know, teaching at the school. So as we were getting ready to move out of here, we thought it's now or never, you know, we better <laughs> trying to get you on a Zoom call later on down the road be only harder. So uh, we do appreciate it. But as uh. Me and Nikki discussed, we only really want to ask about five, six questions, whatever pops into her brain after the fact. Um, But we got five kind of main Mm -hmm. questions here um, just to highlight, you know, your life and your ministry, because we've talked about this on our show before. Um, You know, we think godly men who serve the Lord, you know, sometimes you hear about them, the Spurgeons and these sorts. But for every Spurgeon, there's probably 10,000 that you've never heard of. Mm and they work just as diligently, and their impact is, you know, just as impactful on those that they minister to. So we think your guys' stories deserve to be told, and uh, we know our life has been blessed by your ministry, so we hope others will as well. So the first question that we had for you here was pretty simple. How did you come to your faith? Well, um, I was a a church boy. I grew up Go
2: to church uh, and uh, it was a uh, I guess you'd say an evangelical church, although they were guilty of the uh, doctrinal error of baptismal regeneration, so you're not saved until you go down in the water, pretty much you know when you go down into the water, that's when you're saved so yes. Yeah. So um, I did, you know, um, get baptized when I was 12 on a sincere profession of faith. Uh, I remember wanting to do it not during church. Everybody did it during church. And I was like, well, can I do it some other time? You know, I didn't want like, you know, in front of everybody. So we did it (laughs) on a Friday, Friday afternoon with just my family and the pastor. And I I can't remember a couple of other people, but uh, and and after that—and I don't know how relevant this is, I don't—but uh, I do remember, you know, laying in bed one night and, and saying, Lord, please, you know, forgive me for my sins, because I knew I was supposed to ask that. And I remember feeling like that, you know, there was a 4th of July sparkler that, you know, went, went off at my feet— and went through my whole body and mm. came out my head. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Whoa. I said, oh, is that, how, is that what happens? That's the spirit. <laughs> when there you get is. your sins forgiven. <laughs> so you felt that
0: before you were baptized. <laughs> no, no, that was or after a... I was baptized. Bapti- okay. Yeah,
2: so I had been baptized. Oh. And so, yeah. So, uh, but despite that, and I, I say, you know, I kind of put that in there sort of still as a question mark mm. in my mind. Uh, because afterwards, I, I definitely slid away. I was still going to church, uh, but I increasingly became involved in, you know, sinful activities and smoking pot and things like that. Um, I remember one Sunday in particular, because one of the things we did was have communion every Sunday, and I remember, uh, you know, having the bread and then having the wine, and i and the, the little wine cup caught my lip, and my lip was a little bit dry, and so it spilled on my white shirt. <laughs> and I looked down, and my mind just went, uh, blood of Christ. And I was like, uh, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, in other words, I realized that, you know, my lifestyle wasn't fitting uh, that. And so I, ha- I had enough sense to stop taking communion, rather, you know, because they would read the passage uh, eat and drink judgment to himself, you know, yeah. taking unworthily. And, uh, that, you know, of course may not be the direct context, but I was certainly a candidate for partaking mm-hmm. unworthily. So I stopped, uh, partaking, uh, and, um, you know, usually when I, when I tell my story, I tell this part too, cause it's, it's just kind of, um, weird, but, uh, you know, I had gone pretty, you know, just pretty well away from the Lord. And I i think I was like 16 or something. And one evening I just had gone to sleep, was fast asleep. And then I, the next thing I knew, I was bolt upright in my bed, sitting, sitting, you know, straight up, just like snap, you know, <laughs> and 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 was wide awake. And then this voice in my head was, said kind of with a big Canyon reverb, I don't believe in God, <laughs> oh, and, you right. know, this, with this reverb. And, you know, my eyes are wide open here and I was scared to death. You know, where'd that come from? You know, and, uh, it took, I, it felt like it took an hour to lay back down, you know, to little by little. I was like, well, what's going to happen next, you know? <laughs> 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 so, you know, where did that come from? But, uh, you know, I think that, that was... Either just my repressed conscience, you know, just saying, Hey, I'm going to, you know, say something here. Yeah. Maybe I really was saved. And that was God saying, "Uh, Yeah, you're way off track here. You know, I don't know. Uh, But uh, I had a, I was in a progressive jazz rock band (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my best friend in high school, Alan Burrow, uh, when we were seniors, uh, we actually got in, in trouble with. With uh, marijuana, and it was just the grace of God that we didn't have a police record, Uh, and just got you know got caught with it. And it was really my little brother that kept us from getting in bigger trouble, but uh, because he didn't you know he didn't uh, participate. But uh, that sort of got his attention. He started hanging out with uh, you know a girl uh, in the band. He was in the regular school band and and started going to Bible studies with her in church, he became a Christian. The drummer in the band became a Christian, my best friend. Mm. Well, I mean, he for sure loved me. We, we loved each other. And so he just naturally, you know, started coming by and witnessing to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, that's pretty much what he did from then on. It was very funny because he was not a church uh, boy. So he's witnessing to me and I know the Bible, you know, twice or three times as good as he does. So, you know, he's, he's witnessing to me and I'm correcting him. (laughs) (laughs) If
1: you would have said
2: this, I would have believed you. Except except not that it was just more like, you know, I was,
1: uh, yeah, he, he was very patient, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. That's a good encouragement for people who want to share the Bible. And oftentimes it's the fear of. Well, I what if they ask me something I don't know? Or mm-hmm. what if I say something a bit wrong and they mm-hmm. catch me on it? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, prevents a lot of people from wanting to share the gospel. But that's a good testimony that it doesn't matter. If you yeah. love the Lord, go and talk about Him. And yes. even if you get corrected, I guess count that as a blessing. Yeah, You learn something yourself yeah. and never. press on. Mm. Yeah, never that s-
0: is good. Yeah, never slowed yeah. him
1: down. You know, he, he,
2: he knew that I had grown up in church and everything. Right. And so, yeah.
0: So did he think he was like sharing something that you didn't already know? Or no, he he, was, like,
2: he he knew I knew it. He realized after he became saved that, you know, because we had gone off into kind of Hindu, Buddhist, you know, kind of stuff uh, and actually gone to the, you know, these meetings of Maharishi Ji, I think was his name, this young boy, Messiah figure. Um, you know, we d- did kind of things just for kicks in a way, but we were serious as well. And he realized afterwards that he had really taken that stuff seriously, but that I still had, uh, as he put it, I think correctly, sort of a Trinitarian foundation in my life. And so I I saw all that Eastern stuff from a biblical foundation kind of automatically comparing it. I I mean, I still was into it. Um, And, you know, definitely, like I said, if I had to say, I'd say that I wasn't a Christian. So he he witnessed to me, and like I said, you know, it was—I would—I thought it was humorous. You know, not that I loved him any less, but I just did think it was humorous that, okay, here he is witnessing to me. And, you know, yes, and, uh, you know, Bill, you know, when they, you know, did the—ate the the fruit of uh, of the—of— of good and evil, you know, from the tree, no, it's from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, (laughs) stuff like that. You know, I mean, (laughs) my, my church, you know, was very, you know, learn the Bible, you know, it was very Bible oriented. So I did have, have that, but obviously, you know, I personally didn't partake of the salvation part. Uh, and I, and, and I, I really think it, that the, uh, the wrong teaching, the baptismal regeneration really was a uh, a problem, was an mm. obstacle. Hmm. But anyway, one night he comes over and we're like, uh, he comes over and, okay, we're going to go down. My, We were lucky enough to uh, live live on the water right then. Had this $125 a month house that was on the water. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> those <laughs> days are gone. Yeah, those <laughs> days are gone.
2: And so we're going to go down to the dock. And so uh, we as we start out, of course, I know what we're going to talk about. And so As we're on our way down there, again, this thought just comes into my mind, you know, in my own voice, you know, I know the Bible better than Alan, but Alan really knows the Bible better than me because he knows Jesus.
0: Mm.
2: And and then that kind of was like, I was kind of asking myself, where did that come from? And, Mm. you know, it was perfectly obvious to me, you know, and it's just like my mind was just admitting it for me. And it was that night that, you know, we went down, sat on... Our boat, and uh, I actually um, had the impetus to, to ask, Well, so Alan, if I died tonight, do you think I would go to hell? And he sat there, you know, it seemed like a minute, because, you know, he didn't want to say it. And I guess maybe he was thinking it, because he was thinking, Well, you did go to church, but he, he thought it over and he said, Yeah, I think you would. And, and I remember, you know, right that I think. You know, if I was going to guess, I would say I was born again at that moment Hmm. Mm. from somebody, you know, being honest and saying, you know, where you are right now, you're apart from God, you know, you're apart from Christ, you're going to hell. And I, you know, had to agree with him. So that was the night, you know, when we finished up, I didn't, there wasn't anything dramatic. I didn't, you know, start crying, and oh, Alan or anything like that. (laughs) You know, I didn't, but I started reading my Bible and pretty soon I started going to Bible studies but boy, my brain was so confused with all of the Eastern religion I had brought in and pot smoking. And it was a full year where, I mean, I was just yearning to want to say I was saved and, you know, that I was right with God. And I, for a whole year, I couldn't. And, toward, mm. you, know, toward, you know, I was going to Bible study Monday night, uh, Friday night, going to church. Um, and... Toward the end of the year, I did, the thought, you know, came to me, well, I don't think God will let me die in this state of, you know, not knowing. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, as long as, you know, I think He's going to let me live long enough to, you know, figure it out. You know, that may may have been presumptuous, (laughs) but I did think that. And so, yeah, I did, after about a year, I finally felt uh, fairly secure that I was uh, a believer. Praise
0: God. Did your friend have assurance of his own salvation oh yes
2: yeah yeah he had become a christian yeah for sure he was yeah he's he's a good guy he's actually a pastor now oh really yeah he's a pastor up in uh yeah up in uh iowa i think he lives in
1: yeah well that's an encouraging thing to hear because you know in today's day and age people love you know to tell you judge not lest you be judged right i mean they Be offended If you would dare to tell them, they're probably going to hell. Mm. Um, But I think that story proves, as we've said, I mean, that's the most loving thing you can do is is be honest with someone about their walk. And uh, so that's encouraging to hear. I think it kind of rebuffs a lot of modern ideas on how you're supposed to love your neighbor and, um, you know, judge a tree, all those sorts of things. (laughs) And
0: you see just like your friend just being patient and just faithful in the work of the Lord and warning you and, and, just the, the, the fruit off of that, this, from him working with you, how that's branched out mm. and you've blessed other people. Mm. I'm sure mm. you've been. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. So how does that get you from stumbling through Eastern mysticism (laughs) and that gets you to the idea that you want to be a pastor. Oh
2: yeah. (laughs) Well, um, of course I, I still love the Bible, you know, I I mean, I, well, I, you know, saying still love the Bible. I mean, um, I, like I said, we, we had been sort of knowledge oriented in that, in my childhood church uh, but then I come to, you know, really love the scriptures to where when I had uh, I went to the local junior college here and, you know, got a associate of arts degree there and took, you know, a, a lot of uh, some classes on the base. There was, a, I think, from Troy and from a couple of other and was just piling up uh, college credits because because I was saved right about uh, 1975, right after my senior year of uh, high school. And, uh, so I, uh, started saying, well, where, you know, where would I go to college? And I heard a, uh, pastor at McALean Presbyterian in Pensacola preaching, uh, named, uh, Hendrik Hendrick and found out, you know, he was a college professor. And I just was really impressed with his, uh, preaching and his spirit. And I said, well boy, where does he teach? I sure would like to go to college there. <laughs> and so it was Covenant College in uh, Lookout Mountain, uh, Tennessee, Georgia. And uh, so I, I went there managed to, to go there. Took, you know, all Bible classes. But I uh, never, I looked at the, the guys that were going to go from college to seminary and did not put myself in that category. I had gone to college because... Where I went to, to a church, Forest Lake Bible Church, almost everybody in the church was involved in Rocky Bow Christian School. And so I was, you know, uh, student teaching over there, taking teaching classes, and if anything, leaning towards, you know, te- a teaching degree, took teaching classes and, uh, so, and got a, a, a grant based on being a, a teacher, a Christian school teacher. So when I graduated from college, nineteen seventy nine, I guess, came right to Rocky Bible Christian School and started teaching. Mm-hmm. I was the the music director and taught a couple of Bible classes. Um, and I wasn't looking to be a preacher, but I would I would, um, you know, teach Wednesday night, you know, when the opportunity arose. Uh, and then uh, this church which at the time was the First Methodist Church of Valparaiso. The pastor's son came on a Wednesday night to uh, Forest Lake, which I can't remember you know, exactly why. He, he knew somebody, and they didn't have a Wednesday night service here, I guess. And I happened to be teaching that Wednesday night. So when uh, they, they needed a fill-in pastor, the, the boy suggested me... So one of the elders there, uh, Bob Greet, preached in the morning here, and I preached in the evening, so that then these people heard me. So then in a year or so, I guess it was, when the, that pastor had, had gone, they started calling on me to be an interim, you know, fill the pulpit until they could find a pastor, and that just worked its way into, uh, why don't you just stay on? You know? Yeah. And you know, I, I, by that time I was thinking, you know, I really do love doing this. You know, I love preaching, God, studying and preaching God's word and trying to meet people's needs, you know, with the one thing that can meet those needs is God's word and his spirit through his word. And so um, I said, when they invited me, I said, give me two months. And then see if you still want me. And so I <laughs> pulled everything out that might offend, you know, that I, that I thought of would offend them, the doctrine of election, election and predestination, doctrine of creation versus evolution. And sure enough, people left, you know, but not, uh, not enough. You know, the people that left, the core group that was here was like, well, all he did was, you know, tell us the Bible. You, know, you disagree with what he said from the Bible? And so, you know, we did lose a couple, but the, the core group was like, yeah, we, we think you're just telling us the Bible here. And they were, met, they were Methodists, uh, but they were mainly just, you know, give us the word. So, uh, so I, that's when, when they asked me, of course, I asked my elders at Forest Lake Bible Church. I said, well, they're calling me over there and and poor old uh, Pastor Thomas, y'all, y'all met Pastor Thomas at my um, hand-laying ceremony. Uh, and he he wanted me to stay there. He wanted them to hire me as a <laughs> something, worship leader, assistant pastor. Because, yeah. I mean, I had become kind of like a son to him. He had four daughters, and so I was kind of like his uh, his son. And uh, But the rest of them were like, yeah, send him off. Hey, we we need a missionary over there in Valparaiso, sort yeah. of like that. And uh, so, a year after that, they came and, and ordained me with that laying on of hands. The minute because the Methodist organization wouldn't, because I they figured you know in asking me they figured oh you're not really a Methodist. And I said yeah, I kind of didn't think so. So <laughs> the uh, and so of course over the course of years that. Uh, we adopted a statement of faith that was kind of very, you know, opposite of some of the tenets of Methodism, like especially Methodism, very Arminian, and we had become fairly Calvinistic. Uh, so, but anyway, that's uh, somewhere in there. I guess was the answer to the question. Of, <laughs> you know, I didn't didn't set out to want to be a pastor, but sort of, you know, grew into it.
0: I Were guess. you already a pastor when you met Carol?
2: No. Uh, Carol, uh, Carol's family, um, moved into the neighborhood. She was 12 years old and I was 14 or 15 and (laughs) she moved down the street and I kind of liked her right off the bat. And uh, again, that would have been when neither one of us were Christians. So I became a Christian first and then I started getting her, you know, to come to Bible studies and then church. And so, you know, over the course of of, uh, a year or two, yeah, got, you know, close and, and, uh, said this well,
0: was after your friend asked you if,
2: yes. Yeah. This was after that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, like I said, you know, I, I had known him since I was 15 or, you know, about okay. the same amount of time. So he's from you know from high school from like tenth grade or eleventh grade or something like that. But I didn't become a Christian until after high school. But I, but Carol had been in my neighborhood all that time. So really everybody and all the kids in the neighborhood <laughs> started coming to Bible studies. Wow. And only about half of them you know kept kept it up. But she was one that uh, kept it up, and so yeah, that's where I met met her.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I know you kind of mentioned Harold Thomas and he's a name that you mentioned fairly, you know, frequently here as being a a mentor of yours and so I was curious if that's maybe the only mentor or who really influenced or what influenced your preaching style or has it evolved over time cuz it's a very unique preaching style and um, you know the first time that we came here, I mean cuz and for anyone listening, we'll put links down in the show notes just to a a sample of a church bulletin we get because I think it's worth looking at here <laughs> because I've never been to a church with a more in depth and robust church bulletin. And I mean, your sermon is, you know, it's 80% in the bulletin. And when we first came here, we we're like, okay, that's a whole lot to read. <laughs> and I remember the first couple services, I was like, ah, I don't even want to look at it. I just want to pay attention to what he's saying. And then, you know, over the time, we just really. Began to enjoy it, and as the time progressed, I was like, "Man, we're getting a, a commentary every time we go to church on Sunday." Like, and I wasn't smart enough then to just stick them all, you know, save them in an email or whatever, and uh, so that I can, when I go to preach, reference the Bill Kane commentaries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is that something you've always done? I know you're a teacher, and that's kind of maybe where some of that comes in. But did somebody influence that, or is that just something you decided on? Uh, Harold was Harold Thomas was um, uh,
2: systematic expository, so you know expository. You know, just give start with the Bible text, systematic, go through Bible books. Um, Hendrik Krobendam was very expository, um, at the one that you know the preacher that was also a teacher at Covenant uh, Ike Reader. Uh, was my my pastor there at Covenant <clears throat> because I was Baptistic and the school was Presbyterian and Krabendam was Presbyterian. So I went to a Baptistic school and Ike Reeder was the preacher, very expository. He tended to be more, you know, take episodes, you know, like I remember, I remember the, the best series he did was on Cain and Abel. Boy, that was just a... Blockbuster, but all it was was just start at Genesis four and just work verse by verse, word word by word. So I had three very good examples, and then my own preaching, I think, took um, a notable step because I never had you know I didn't go to sem- I went to Bible college, so I had a lot of knowledge, but I never had any like preaching or speech instruction. Although I had taken speech in in high school, but I really shied away from trying to be dramatic when I was speaking, because I was like, well, I don't want the people to believe it because I'm being dramatic, or, right. you know, I want them to believe it because it, they mm-hmm. believe the Bible. But um, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his book, Preaching and Preachers, I think is the name, and I would, I kind of, I think, use the phrase as he was sort of like a prophet uh, to me as a, as a preacher. You know, he kind of fulfilled a a role like, you know, a School of Prophets, where just what he, what he said just really came alive and was authoritative to me and how he described preaching. I said, boy, that's true. And it was a, a lot of stuff that I was missing. Uh, so, and, you know, like, like preaching with authority, you know, saying, you know, you're, but also preaching with uh, empathy. And so his, his book was very, very influential. Um, yeah, so those, those four influences probably would
1: be my main ones for preaching. So I know, and this may just be hearsay, and I think we've asked you about it before, but we heard 35 years through the book of Leviticus, roughly. (laughs) So I'm curious if that's, I guess, at all true, but also what's the hardest book you've preached through? Is it Leviticus or uh, something different? Hmm.
2: I, I mean, I would have to say Zechariah was very challenging, um, yeah, I, but it might have been because I, of how much I bit off every time, but yeah, before Zechariah, Leviticus definitely was hard, but I, I had a, at the time, local theologian, uh, James Jordan, who actually, I mean, I remember going right here in Valparaiso, he actually had a storefront that had all of his uh, books, and they were—I don't know if any of them were in book form. They were just all, like, in paper form, and all of hmm. these looked like a mail room, you know, with all— and then he'd pull one out and get the big, you know, stapler and chunk, chunk, and says, here, here's <laughs> what I've got on Leviticus, <laughs> you know, and, and his Leviticus was like a doctoral uh, dissertation. Um, but I, I thought his, his handling of Leviticus 11, because, I mean, that's—well, I mean— Yeah, that's where Leviticus gets especially difficult. Uh, But also, it was very, very, um, it's very helpful to look at it, I think, uh, rightly. It sort of pulls Leviticus out of the dry and boring category into the, oh, you know, this is telling the gospel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This book is telling the gospel maybe more than other books. And so maybe that's why it's a little harder to, to understand.
1: Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've certainly enjoyed Zechariah. I know we've talked many a times where we're like, I mean, thank heavens we're here because I mean, those <laughs> visions and dreams that he has, you're like, yeah. all right, I, sure, I'm sure they mean something, you know. <laughs> and i <I'm, laughs> someday I'll figure it out. So it's been a blessing for us to be here um, during the Zechariah, and I think you just finished it, you know, mm-hmm. while we were here, which is a blessing. But yep. you also did something very unique that I've never had a pastor do in my entire life. Um, and that was basically tell us that you learned something new or were corrected on something new through your own study. Um, and that happened just recently um, through your sort of study on Hebrews, um, going through the foundational elements of the Christian faith. And you kind of had a, a new look at the laying out of hands. And I've never had a pastor stand up in a pulpit and go. Well, I was wrong all this time before, (laughs) and uh, I've learned something new. Let me share it with you. I thought that was really refreshing. Yeah. Praise
2: God.
1: (laughs) I mean, but I guess all along, maybe it's just simple oversight, because it was in the the Philadelphia all this time. All this time. time. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Um, So the last two questions that we had here, um, just kind of what's been – your greatest hardship as a pastor over all these years? Um, Probably I, I would say just the,
2: um, I I would start, you know, by putting, I I guess, uh, you know, it it is possible and likely to, to frame that in the context of, you know, obstacles confronting the ministry, but um, you know, the, The uh, ministry has kind of stayed uh, steady in a in a way that there hadn't been you know huge obstacles to it. Um, So I mean, in in uh, thinking of the question, I think maybe I would identify a difficulty in terms of you know of a personal um, challenge, and my my challenge I think uh, has been uh, envy uh where you know i'm saying you know he you know here i've got a you know relatively small church mm-hmm. you know some might say microscopic <laughs> 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 you know and uh um, thinking you know well you know lord why why can't uh, it be bigger you know why can't you uh, bring in more people and of course you know then uh, there's all kinds of conversations, you know, that have with the Lord, you know, well, maybe you should be doing something different, et cetera, which is, you know, the uh, context for very, very good uh, thoughts and meditations and corrections from God. And definitely in my saner moments, I'm like, you know, God is very smart <laughs> to have done things the way that he has done them and is doing them. I mean, I remember talking uh, to Pastor Sheldon over in in Pensacola, uh, uh, very, uh, I, I don't know, the most childlike faith I've ever seen, and yet the deepest Christian I, I think I've ever met, you know, just, and it was just a one-day experience. I actually went up there to say, hey, would you consider heading up a, um, an affiliation of churches? Uh, you know, our church needs to affiliate, and we can't find a church that quite, you know, uh, fits— Uh, where we could affiliate. So would you consider, you know, just being the head of one? But it, it, I mean, within a year after that, he had died. But, but the time I, I uh, spent with him, um, he, he said that he, he had had that question, you know, why, why does, why did his church stay small? And he just said, well, you know, the Lord was just keeping me from pride. I'm sure, you know, um, and I was thinking, boy, I, I mean, how could this guy ever be in danger of having pride? I mean, he was just the most humble, meek, you know, just childlike, uh, you know, servant of God that I had ever met. But I, of course, I can think back on him now and think, you know, come on. I mean, if, if anybody, <laughs> you know, deserved a, a, a bigger, bigger church, he did. So yeah, I, in my, certainly in my saner moments, I'm I am content and I remind myself, but that is something I think, you know, the Lord lets me grapple with. Of course, it's just pride, you know, being envious, you know, looking at the bigger churches and, uh, but one thing I, I have prayed consistently back from, you know, pretty much day one of being a pastor is from Psalm nine or no, yeah, Psalm 119, let those who fear you turn unto me and those that have known your testimonies. So I pretty much said, you know, God, you know, I, I know not everybody, you know, not everybody that fears you turn unto me. In other words, that I would be able to ha- have the privilege of close fellowship with him. But it feels like that the Lord has brought people like y'all who fear God.
1: And so, you know, that, uh, that, I- that is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, uh, the John MacArthur quote. I heard him say, you know, Something he would always tell pastors is you you worry about the depth of your ministry mm-hmm. and let God worry about the breadth Breath. of your ministry mm-hmm. yes. and I think that's perfect, and I think that prayer, I would say God has answered it. I mean, this church may not have a you know the biggest member's role, but I feel like every single person in this church is god-fearing yeah sold out. I feel like you could talk to any one of them and be you know get solid, biblical. Counseling, advice. I mean, from the youngest, you know, Riga sister to, I mean, even, you know, you talk to, you know, they're 18 years old and you're like, man, you seem like you're matured well beyond your years. They love the Lord. Even the families they come from are God fearing families and, you know, all the way to, you know, the Teresa's, you know, and like coming in early. And it's just, it seems like every single one of them, there's no lukewarm Christians walking around here. And I do, pray and wish that more would come in me and uh you know dick we just talking about this on sunday we're like i don't know why i don't know why people don't hunger for this type of teaching but i guess you know we do live in a time where you know the emotional stirring up of churches and stuff has a certain draw and you know they market that effectively yeah. they know what's going to draw people in and um yeah. but i know for us this was ex- exactly the right place at the right time yeah. um and it'll definitely be hard to find another place that tops it, especially in the teaching <laughs> and the fellowship. Um, so I just had really one last question maybe, but we talked about the greatest hardship. So what would be the greatest joy that you've had as a pastor?
2: And it, it, I think it really is um, the, uh, the love of, of God's Word I see in His people. You know, I, I remember in particular... Uh, Tim, Tim Woodyard, uh, when I think it was like the second time maybe that, uh, that he had been here. He, he was talking to me and he, he got tears in his eyes and he said, I, I can't, can't believe your commitment to the Word. You know, that he, I guess, you know, found it uh, unusual. And I mean, boy, that... You, you know, you know, talk. You know, get getting enough encouragement to go for a year. You know, <laughs> I, I can remember that any time. You know, just the, the look in his eyes and the you know, the quaver in his voice. You know, I can't believe your commitment to the word. You know, I said, well, of course he said that because he loves the word. Mm-hmm. So same thing with you guys. You know, I see the love of the word of God, which is love for God. You know, reflected in you. That's my greatest joy. Mm-hmm. is just seeing that beaming back at me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've loved, you know, I talked about Scott, you know, I, mm. who's been here for a long time, and, you know, it's uh, it's been amazing, you know, even just sitting there with him in, in church, and, you know, probably could be a pastor of his own somewhere, you know, And although he, might run all his members out because he never stops talking about. <laughs> you know, every service would devolve into the same thing. You would get to Cain and Abel, and two minutes in, you're on Jesus. And you're like, Cain and Abel, right? Um, but again, just everybody here seems so passionate, and um, it's it's definitely yeah. really been good for our souls, good for our children. This is really the first church that we brought where kids are in, you know, the sanctuary with everyone else, and. Mm. They're screaming during prayer time and they're, you know, squealing during the preaching and all that sort of stuff. No, I've been but meaning <laughs> to talk to you about your kids doing that. Yeah, <laughs> they're a bit old to be doing that, <laughs> Yeah, we'll no, have to talk to them. Their kids don't do that. Their kids are older. <laughs> they, they don't do that. <laughs> no, but uh, do you have any final questions here for him?
0: Um, I, I don't have any questions. I was just going to just agree with you. It's been a blessing for our kids, and I know they do follow along. And I, I was kind of shocked, you know, we started coming here that they do, they do pay attention, and I like how you have the, the kids speak portion in your outline. Um, is that something you thought of or did the other pastor? Yeah, bastard?
2: It, but, you know, a lot of what I do is born of, you know, necessity. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when some, somebody stopped coming, you know, they were kind of like, well, you know, my, my husband is not quite there says, you know, like the, the wife was the one who was like, Oh, you know, I love it. You know, I love the, but you know, my husband's not quite there on the, you know, uh, mm. study uh, and academic part of it. And, you know, I said, ah, you know, I mean, I was, well, you know, what can I do? And so that that was the concrete step I took was adding kid speaks to the outlines and then, of course, found out you know within a month or so of doing that that everybody's whispering around. Uh, gee, I sure like the kids' speaks. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> That's the number one compliment I get from running on the website. They're like, "Thank you so much for putting the kids' speaks on there. It's so good to just see them and be able to read along with them." Like, well, you're welcome. Because so.
0: even your kids' speak is more than like some other churches' outlines. Like you have several of them in there, you know. Yeah those alone could just be a simple outline.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's what my, my sister said. You know, that's the first thing she does when she gets the outline is just go through the kid speaks and said, okay,
1: you know, I know it's coming. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, well, as we end, I guess I didn't have this question written down, but as somebody who's in seminary now and has the hope <clears throat> of someday potentially being a pastor, is there any advice or, you know, um, anything you would offer as I guess, just advice or something to do to prepare yourself for someone who's looking to getting into the pastoral position potentially someday. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I think um, just initially what comes to mind is, is give due attention to the, uh, to the Greek and the Hebrew, um, that, that's, that that's what you... You know, if you, if you get the Greek and the Hebrew, <clears throat> everything else you take, you can check it out yourself. You know, anything else you're told, you're, you'll be able to go back to the original languages and say, okay, that stacks up or mm, that doesn't quite stack up. So that, that to me, um, whether you're that good at it or not, whatever level of depth you get in, into the Greek and the Hebrew, it will enable you to use the tools... Because when it comes down to it, you know, uh, 99% of the Greek and Hebrew students, uh, even teachers, are still not the ones that write Greek and Hebrew dictionaries and stuff like that. You right. know, so we're all tool users, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, we'll allow you better access to go to the tools and, and check things out. Because that's the level at which, you know, you don't go any, any deeper than that. You know, that's what God said. Mm-hmm. This is what he said, you know, to or through Moses. This is what he said to or through Peter, you know. And, uh, so give give attention to that again, not to necessarily be expert, but to know, okay, now this is my uh, comparison point for everything else
1: I'm learning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I do have Greek and Hebrew coming up. I was like, <laughs> I don't feel like I should take those online. That seems like a daunting mm. task, mm. so mm. I'm, I'm keep pushing those ones off, and I know I got to get to them eventually. It's a, if you have the chance to take them in person,
2: it is better to take them in person. I would say having taken them online. Okay. I, now I took them. I took Hebrew in co- way back in college at Covenant College. We actually talked a professor into teaching teaching us uh, Hebrew, which usually is not at the college level. Um, but you know, yeah, doing having done it there and then doing it online. The only thing that they did for me on online to kind of make up for not being in person was just piling on huge amounts of work, you know, making us copy the notes at the bottom of the page by hand and all kinds of things to make sure that there was plenty of detail. So, yes, if if you have a chance to do it in person, I do recommend that. Okay, good. I was smart
1: to push it off there. there you are. You weren't lazy. You were <laughs> yeah. smart. That's right. Yeah. Uh, see, I told you, honey. Uh, okay, well, we certainly appreciate your time. Um, this has been a blessing for us. If I could ask one last thing of you, mm-hmm. maybe close us out in prayer yeah. uh, before we end the episode.
2: Yeah. Be very happy and privileged to. Father, uh, how glad we are to be your people, uh, to be an adopted uh, through your Son, Jesus, into your family and into your kingdom, to learn your ways, to have uh, your Spirit to guide us and within us to say, Abba, Father, and to say, Father, uh, speak to me. Uh, let me hear all that you have to say. So, Lord, I pray that you will bless Spencer and Nikki and that you will bless them in the, the work to which they go. Lord, thank you so much for them. And I just look forward to uh, continuing to hear their podcasts and uh, be able to continue to fellowship with them and by whatever means, uh, bless their children, I pray. Lord, we, uh, we give you glory. We ask that you would revive your church, that uh, we may speak uh, truth to our nation, that you might grant our nation repentance before it is too late. And these things we ask in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Well, thank you again, Pastor Kane, And that's all we got for today, guys. We'll talk to you again next week. God bless.